It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Well, it was a blowout. It was a blowout in Wyoming last night. Liz Cheney got blown out of the water. 66.3% for Harriet Hageman against 28.9% for Liz Cheney. Uh, and she pointed out in her uh, speech uh, that she actually won by 70% when she w- won when she ran last time. I wonder what changed. I wonder what changed. Uh, let me just say that Liz has not learned anything. I don't think she's learned anything. And let me just... Uh, show you and illustrate that by part of her speech last night uh, after the race was over. Let's listen. This is not a game. Every one of us must be committed to the eternal defense of this miraculous experiment called America. And at the heart of our democratic process are elections. They are the foundational principle of our Constitution. Two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear. But it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. It would have required that I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. That was a path I could not and would not take. No, no House seat, no office in this land is more important than the principles that we are all sworn to protect. And I well understood the potential political consequences of abiding by my duty. Our Republic relies upon the goodwill of all candidates for office to accept honorably the outcome of elections. And tonight, Harriet Hegeman has received the most votes in this primary. She won. I called her to concede the race. This primary election is over, but now the real work begins. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed He saved our union, and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. All right, so that's just part of what she had to say. I, you know, I um, I I'm looking for the straitjacket. What she just said makes no sense. The founders of our democracy, we uphold, we're uh, sworn to uphold the principles of this democracy. How about equal justice under the law? How about the kangaroo court that she knows she's presiding over? This is just delusional. It's just strange. And I, when she's talking about Lincoln and how he lost races before he finally won the ultimate one, that's a big hint is what she hasn't 
in mind. She said the work has just begun. Liz wants to be president, and there are people that want her to be president. So look for Liz Cheney not to go away, but to actually come back as a presidential candidate. I just, um, I don't know. Senator Rand Paul tweeted this. Few people in Washington have been as wrong and damaging on foreign policy as Liz Cheney. Congratulations to Hageman uh, for her victory tonight. I look forward to working with an advocate for liberty as the next congressman from Wyoming. Bye, Liz. And then uh, Claudia Tenney said it well. Breathtakingly arrogant speech by loser Liz, Liz Cheney. Orchestrating show trials contrary to safeguards guaranteed by the Bill of Rights is not Lincoln-esque. On the contrary, Cheney's actions mirror precisely the authoritarianism, authoritarianism our founders fought valiantly against. And she's right about both of those things. I just don't get it. Uh, Tucker Carlson pointed out last night that when Liz got into Congress, she was worth $7 million, which that's a lot of money. And how was she able to do that? She was not really... She didn't ever hold, as far as I know, a powerhouse job. And now she's worth $44 million. She's been in uh, Congress for six years, and now she's worth $44 million. So people are wondering, you know, how did this happen? Her father also, Dick Cheney, is worth like $90 million, as I, I as I recall. You know, how does this happen? How does this happen? Uh, so uh, this is they, they enrich themselves, and then they become just too powerful, too cool for school. It's their government. It's not yours. And the, you icky people who get in the way because they have to be elected by you, they're, you, you know, you have cooties. You're just sort of icky because they are, after all, the commanders. They are the rulers. Uh, it's just a sick system, I want to say. But she's been defeated. Thank God she's been defeated. So now Lisa Murkowski also, also uh, well, to me, she has cooties. I guess I could say Lisa, Lisa Murkowski is a nightmare uh, for Republicans. She's uh, She should be a Democrat, uh, but she isn't. Uh, last night, uh, she and, you know, they have this uh, ranked choice voting in uh, Alaska. So yesterday, Kelly Shibaka and Lisa Murkowski are advancing to the general election for Senate. Uh, Kelly Shibaka is endorsed by President Trump. So that'll be interesting. Sarah Palin, uh, the, the news on that won't happen and we'll probably won't know until August 31st who the winner of that was. Uh, she. There were two Republicans, Palin, Begich, and, and one Democrat, Paltola. Uh, vying for the uh, the uh, House seat, and so the the winner will probably be known August the 31st. Don't we have a fine system? Isn't it good we use machines? I'm telling you, they're so much faster than counting, hand counting, right? I remember I grew up with hand counting and paper ballots, and like we knew right away, we knew like the next morning who won. I don't know what happened to that. Uh, people in that case seem to be more efficient than these machines who seem to have a mind of their own when it comes to actually deciding how many people cast votes for who. But anyway, uh, let me go on because there's a lot of news here. Um, uh, actually, Mark, I should play this. Um, Mark Meredith on Fox uh, tells the story of what's happening with President Trump's affidavit. Let's listen. Clip seven. Minutes after landing in Maryland, reporters pushed for President Biden to weigh in on last week's unprecedented search of former President Trump's Florida home. Any concern about Background noise made it too hard to hear the president's response, but his predecessor is speaking up. Monday night on Truth Social, Trump called for the, quote, completely unredacted release of the criminal affidavit, which sparked the FBI's search of Mar-a-Lago. A judge will consider releasing the document on Thursday, which could offer dramatic details about the grand jury investigation. Trump supporters say the release is already long overdue. 
What we want to know is what did they tell the court to get that warrant? And the only way we'll know that is through that affidavit. But the Justice Department says releasing the affidavit would significantly damage an ongoing criminal probe. The FBI is investigating how government documents, many labeled classified or top secret, ended up at Mar-a-Lago. Tonight, there are reports former White House counsel Pat Cipollone and his former deputy Patrick Philbin have met with the FBI to discuss the case. Trump claims he declassified the documents before leaving office. His former national security advisor says that's news to him. I never heard of it, never saw it in operation, never knew anything about it. The president never said anything to me during 17 months there. Uh, I just think it's a complete fiction. But Trump supporters say until the affidavit is released, they'll argue the Justice Department is only targeting Trump for political purposes. We're flying right, blind interrupt. in the dark. You know, that's the enough. Uh, I now, John Bolton just, John used to be such a good friend of mine. I, I don't get the, I, you notice I never interview him anymore. I, he, he also, he went the way of Liz Cheney because he hates President Trump. President Trump criticized him and they're both, you know, type A bull men. And so uh, there's this enmity. But John, how could he say this? John left the White House uh, several months before the end of the administration, and others like Cash Patel and others are, you know, we have the documents. We have the, it in writing where President Trump declassified all those documents. So John is just wrong. Again, just it's very sad to me to say that, but it's true. And I have to be, listen, I, I want to counsel all of you that it is important. I know this is hard to do, but the standard is the standard, even when it comes to friends and family. That doesn't mean you go after your friends and family, but you don't equivocate on truth because they are your friends or your family. That includes politicians, your own children. Uh, the standard is the standard. The truth, we don't know uh, what the standard is on some things. I recognize there's gray areas. But truth is, uh, as much as far as we can know it, is not bendable. It's not changeable. Our sexuality is not changeable. God's law is not changeable. And so on those things, you have to be steadfast. And so if your friends go off the rails, you have to be honest with them. And, that, and that's what I got with politicians. You know, he's my friend. I've known him for years. That's not good enough. And that's not a reason to allow them then uh, to go off the rails and stand by them as friends, even though when they're doing terrible things, that's just wrong. Don't do that. All right. So I, I digress. And that's what's happening with that, now, uh, Jonathan Turley has uh, pointed out, by the way, Judicial Watch is behind that strong push to uh, to release that uh, affidavit. And Jonathan Turley is saying Garland does not have to seek the release of the affidavit to supply information on the prior communications and necessity of the raid. The target has already waived objections. So this is just folly. It's silliness, and it's just obstruction because they don't want you to know what their what reasons were for going in. Okay, lots to tell you, so I want to hurry. Uh, Jim Jordan is reporting that there are 14 FBI whistleblowers have come forward, and they're whistleblowing on a lot of things. They're whistleblowing uh, on uh, um, what's going on in the Justice Department. They're talking about the school board issues, a whole host of things. And, of course, two months ago, there were six FBI whistleblowers who came to the committee, and they were concerned about the, the, the what happened on January the 6th, and we've had they've had several that have been uh, concerned about you know, how parents are being treated by the Justice Department. And so so that's good news. And by the way, uh, James O'Keefe uh, at Ver Project Veritas uh, has released a video. They've, some more information has come to him. I'm going to be quiet and let him tell it because I'm, because I'm trying to hurry. Clip nine here. Breaking news. A source within the Department of Homeland Security has leaked to us 
an intelligence bulletin marked for official use only unclassified in light of the FBI raid on President Trump. This document dated August 12th refers to a heightened threat from what the Department of Homeland Security calls DVEs or domestic violent extremists, quote, motivated by a range of ideologies who have grievances against a variety of targets, including law enforcement. Domestic violent extremists are referred to in one of these paragraphs as, quote, many of these threats include references to the perception that the 2020 presidential election was fraudulent and other claims of government overreach. The 2022 midterms in this document are also highlighted as a potential, quote, flashpoint for this violent extremism. Now, the Department of Homeland Security has declined to confirm the existence of this document, but you can see it with your own eyes and ears, which is certainly not something the mainstream media wants you to necessarily see, but you can see it here and you can see it on our website. As you may recall, two weeks ago, a source in the FBI, a different source, sent us a series of documents revealing that the agency was categorizing patriotic symbols that are very common as indicators of, quote, militia, violent extremism. And as Ted Cruz pointed out in the hearing, cross-examining Christopher Wray, the Gadsden flag, this bow tie, if I were to wear it, the FBI would consider it an indication of militia violent extremism. And as Senator Cruz so eloquently articulated, Christopher Wray, what are you doing? All right, so that's uh, James O'Keefe, and he did it well. He's talking about how Homeland Security is viewing us, and there are real consequences to this. Uh, we're going to talk about January 6th today. We're going to talk about a new documentary on it with the documentary filmmaker. Uh, but in the interim, on Monday of this week, Paul Hodgkins uh, was, uh, went before a judge. And I want to read a bit, if, as much as I can here, of what Julie Kelly wrote about it. He was there on January 6th. His, uh, past, his, uh, his attorney, Patrick LaDuc, uh, is, um, by the way, a 33-year-old U.S. Army reservist. And he spoke to the judge and said, Paul Hodgkins is not my enemy. Uh, he said it has been his oath to protect the country against enemies, foreign and domestic, to refute the government's accusation that Paul Hodgkins, 38, is a domestic terrorist. Words have meaning, LeDuc told U.S. District Court Judge Randolph Moss. I've been shot at by real terrorists. If we're going to label this as domestic terrorism, where do we draw the line? Uh, and I could go on, let's just say that Paul... Uh, was from Tampa. He's not a wealthy guy. He's a poor guy. Uh, he went in, He went into the building for like 22 minutes. He didn't do anything. He waved a flag. The, the judge was cold as ice. Julie Kelly says the first time she's cried in any hearing. He is the new domestic terrorist that must be destroyed, and indeed he will be. And uh, that's what's happening, going to happen to all of us if we don't stop this. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, just watching your hard-earned dollars flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option. It's called MediShare 65+. Plus. And MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills. It really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. 
MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years, and you can use your Medicare-approved doctor, and you also get telehealth 24-7 service, so you don't have to leave your home for the little stuff. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're easy to talk to. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Gay Christianity is a demonic ideology that devours people. M.D. Perkins. The reality is this is a spiritual war, and there are spiritual casualties believing that God's okay with it, that the real problem is actually the church or the Bible or even God himself. Yes, the LGBT movement's infiltration of the church that's been going on since 1968 is gaining ground by taking advantage of the affirming church movement to appeal to theological liberals. In his book, Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity, M.D. Perkins exposes how so-called gay Christianity spreads and equips us to stop its influence. We need to have a sense of urgency a sense of the spiritual peril that is here and for our hearts to break over these issues. God gave us His Word and His Spirit and we can take spiritual strongholds if we use the means that He gave us to do so. Buy Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity today at resources.afa.net. Hello Americans, I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make a switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. There was a time in this nation when cotton was king. It was the fabric of our lives. But then came the 21st century, and with it, the cancel culture mob. Cotton is now on the verboten list. A black parent recently filed a civil rights lawsuit against the Los Angeles Unified School District. She says her daughter's social justice teacher set up a cotton patch in the front of the school. The kids were then instructed to pick the cotton. The teacher wanted kids to get an idea of what it was like being a slave in the Old South. The parent says her daughter suffered extreme emotional distress. Welcome to Woke America, ladies and gentlemen, where the children get triggered by cotton swabs. You know, back when I was at Fox News, I got in trouble for using the phrase cotton picking, as in, now, wait just one cotton picking minute? Yeah, the cancel culture mob was on me like a bull weevil in a cotton ball. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. They dragged her out and it reminded me of deer hunting. You drag out a deer carcass. He was completely out of control. He himself was committing crimes in the process. There's people from all over the nation, from every state. There has been a lot of fraud. He could stop this. At least one person over here is being injured and taken away. Capitol Hill, overtaken by Americans. The story of January 6th changes drastically, depending on who's telling it. 
The House Select Committee on January 6th has deemed the incident an attack on the American system, comparable to the bombing of Pearl Harbor or even the terrorist attacks on 9-11. It's being investigated as a potential insurrection that could allegedly incriminate former President Donald Trump. And it's being used domestically to frame a new narrative on domestic extremism. Yet is this narrative really the case? Imagine if the American people actually saw just what happened to Roseanne Boylan and these officers who keep portraying themselves as heroes that day. He fires at her and strikes her in the left shoulder. It's a failure not only of training, but it's also a failure of bystandership and supervision. January 6th demands a full and impartial investigation, one free from foregone conclusions, hidden agendas, and naked hyperbole. The nation needs a serious examination of January 6th, one that includes the subjects too often ignored in media coverage and in political speech. With interviews, on-the-ground reporting, and exclusive footage, we'll now tell the real story of January 6th. All right, Sandy Rios with you. If you listen to me very often, you know that this is a theme for me. Um, I was just uh, telling my producer, I, if, I, if I could, I would spend all of my time on this subject because it's becoming bigger and bigger. And it is the root of so much of what's happening in this country from the, you know, the persecution of Donald Trump to the persecution of people like you and me, to his attorneys, uh, to the upside-down nature of the uh, Justice Department, to the... Uh, draconian rulings of the Biden administration. It's just January 6th was uh, um, a response of the patriots who love their country and went to their capital where they have every right to protest and something happened. Something went wrong on that day. We've talked about it a great deal uh, and many of you are, you know, you have family members that are incarcerated. Uh, you yourself were incarcerated. Many of you have been harassed and harangued by the government over this. Uh, and we understand that our government in many in many cases has become our enemy, which is just so tragic. And so, um, and on the basis of this, we just heard James O'Keefe talk about how that Homeland Security memo is now, you know, sp- expanding their definition of domestic terrorism to include people that fly the Gladstone flag, uh, people that uh, feel that the election was stolen in 2020, the presidential election. All of us are, you know, cast with that pall, and it is a real danger. And so we have to get to the bottom of what happened on that day. Um, there was a new documentary by Epoch Times that I is wonderful. It's powerful. It's been out a couple of weeks. I've watched it, but this is my first chance to really talk to you about it. I've mentioned it in passing, but I met the producer of the film, uh, well, briefly, in at CPAC and ask him to join us. Uh, which he has done this morning. I think he's at an airport. Is that right, Joseph Hanneman? Yes, I'm at the O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Well, that's my hometown, so I know exactly where you are, and I can visualize it in my mind. So um, thanks, Joseph. I appreciate you joining us because it's not easy to do an interview, especially about this at an O'Hare in Chicago. So I hope nobody you know, chains you up and carries you away because you're talking about it. Yeah, me either. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Okay, so Joseph, you are a, a reporter for the Epoch Times. By the, and just a silly thing, my listeners are driving me, some of them are driving me crazy because they hate the way I pronounce E-P-O-C-H Times. So you need to sort us out. How do you pronounce E-P-O-C-H 
so that my listeners will have mercy on me for saying epoch. Can you explain this? And they should have mercy on you because either is correct. Uh, Epoch is more of a British pronunciation, but uh, I've done it both ways. I think epic kind of comes off my tongue easier, but uh, Epoch is not incorrect. So, you know, you can feel confident saying that, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that at all. Joseph, thank you. <laughs> I just had to let them hear you say that. <laughs> well, you got, you have a lot of... You have an international uh, crew at Epoch Times, and I probably have heard one of your reporters with some English who learned English, the British English, who said Epoch, and that's where I picked it up. So, anyway, that's not imp- that is certainly not important. I want to ask you this: um, How long have you been following the events of January the sixth? When did this start for you? Well, uh, almost immediately after I came on board at, at the Epoch Times back in December of last year, and I was assigned to write a uh, magazine cover story was also in the newspaper on the one year anniversary. Uh, and as I dug into it, uh, I realized this was a lot more than, than an anniversary story um, and came to the realization that there was just a whole lot to January 6th that wasn't being discussed. And I was in coming across people and stories and things that happened that had not been given any publicity or had been covered up. So, you know, as this kind of progressed into the spring, we realized uh, well, our reporting just wasn't matching up with the, with what you call the prevailing narrative in the, in the legacy media. And so because this was such a visual event, possibly the most photographed and videoed uh, event in history, um, that it would be a, a perfect thing for a documentary. So that was that was kind of the genesis of it, and and I've been more than full time on January sixth uh, the entire time I've been with the paper. Yeah, uh, well, I'm glad to hear that. And I, I, as I, you may have heard me say, but I'll repeat: I, if I had the luxury of uh, studying one issue right now, it would be this. But I have to cover everything that's happening. I'm fascinated by it. A lot of my listeners, Joseph, uh, have family members who are incarcerated. Uh, many of them were there on January the sixth, so this is kind of a shared experience. Uh, Mike Waller, many of the national security people you talk to, Julie Kelly, our regular guest. Mike is a good friend of mine. And so this this is just really important to me. And it's important to all of us because uh, it, it really is um, uh, probably the the, uh, the, the, the measuring line, the, the plumb line for where things are in this country. And this is where we actually saw how bad things had gotten at the highest levels. I want to say also, Joseph, just so people will know, you are a writer. You're from, you uh, have written general news for the state of Wisconsin. Uh, you have uh, written for Catholic World Report, the Racing Journal, and the Wisconsin State Journal, and the Chicago Tribune. So that's your background in writing. Um, all right, I want to talk to you about, there are a lot of things I want to discuss with you. Let me just start with this. In your documentary, which was excellent, by the way, and let me repeat to people, it's the real story of January 6th. You can get it at the Epoch Times. Practically speaking, how can people watch this now? Is it still free at Epoch Times, or uh, how, how does it working now? Yeah, anyone who's a subscriber can watch it for free, and they can get you set up as a subscriber for a dollar. So it's it's very easy to do. There is a, there is a rental price for non-subscribers, but um, you might as well just invest that in a, in a trial subscription. So you can watch it free. Uh, you can find it at uh, J6. It's the numeral six realstory.com. It's got all sorts of background on the film and how we how we made it, and it has links to watch it on Epoch TV or on locals.com. So 
Okay. Uh, that's all at the, that website. All right. J6realstory.com. J6realstory.com. And we will repeat that and we'll put it on our, our getter page. Now, um, Joseph, one thing, you know, is that the Capitol Police have been withholding thousands of hours of video. They've done that from the very beginning. Now, they did release the most horrific scenes, and the news media characterized it as, you know, uh, Trump supporters, you know, attacking police and all of the stories and attacking the Capitol building. Uh, but the, uh, the the thousands of hours that weren't released, many of us suspect, show a very different story. Were you guys able to get any of their footage, or did you get your footage from other sources? We did get some of their footage. We were able to obtain uh, body camera footage that is, is under seal and is being kept from the public. And even some of the, the defense attorneys have had trouble getting a hold of some of this uh, just because of the way the Justice Department is, is housing this stuff. Uh, and the system that they use that defense attorneys have complained bitterly is very difficult to navigate. So we were able to get uh, body cam footage, which is invaluable. It, it uh, you know, we, we were able to look at, for instance, the the, uh, the beating of Roseanne Boylan. We were able to use several officers' body cams to to pick up audio and pick up things that, in fact, you know, pick up her probably some of her last coughing breaths uh, before she passed away. Um, and we have some other security footage that uh, is under seal, and and it it is very revealing. Uh, and it, it really shows to me that the full story, which has yet to be revealed, is going to be contained in what I'm told is, is closer to 16,000 hours of video, all told, both security video and other video that uh, that they have collected uh, is going to would allow the public to see everything that happened, to be able to look at the, the instigators and and see them, well, were they at other places on the Capitol grounds and and track some of the troublemakers and just get a sense of how much of this was really, you know, the violence and all that occurred was really organic and how much of it was, was instigated and planned. So uh, it's judicial watch has sued the Capitol police for the release of, of all of it, or certainly they think most of it can be released. Uh, and they're very good at getting things like that out of the government. So we hope that that they are successful and support their suit because um, context is everything. everything. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I can I can take a short clip, and this has been done by by a number of media that have done so-called visual investigations, and I can make it look like uh, this individual is attacking the police mercilessly. And look at he stepped right over, stepped right on top of Roseanne Boylan. Well, if you you pull back and you look at the entire clip, it, it takes on a whole different light. Um, so it, those things are really important uh, because otherwise what you're getting is, is uh, propaganda. Exactly. And people don't know this, but we everybody takes videos now with their cameras. You can capture a moment in your home, 30 seconds of someone that looks very different than what the whole thing, what he's in the process of doing something, and you capture 30 seconds of that something where he does something else quirky. And so people should understand how video can be misused, and I and certainly it was misused by news uh, agencies right off the bat. It's amazing how they hit the ground running taught with this narrative about how Trump supporters turned against police and how violent they were. All right, let's talk about some of the facts that you guys gathered 
Um, and a lot of this, I've been over too, Joseph, but it always has to be repeated. By the way, uh, Judicial Watch are great friends, and they're doing, my, by the way, Tom Fitton and Judicial Watch are wonderful friends, and I'm with you. They are, what would we do without them? They are champions in all of these issues. All right, so first of all, how many people, how many people actually died on that day? There were four people who died on January 6th. All four of them were uh, Trump supporters, and all of those deaths, to varying degrees, are tied to the police use of force and the excessive use of force. Um, the uh, often cited uh, misstatement is that a uh, police officer was killed that day, and no police officers were killed. Uh, officer Brian Sicknick died the next day, and he had a stroke, and the medical examiner did not tie his death in any way to anything that happened on the 6th. Uh, but that the narrative was started by the New York Times, which claimed that he had been assaulted with a fire extinguisher and hit in the head. And that, you know, they had to retract that. It simply was not true. Um, there were two men who were charged with spraying him with, with bear spray or pepper spray. Um, but we've seen some, some indications, some new evidence that shows that it may very well have been a fellow officer who sprayed him. Well, the, the medical examiner did not indicate that that had anything to do with it either. Uh, but, you know, President Biden, back, I believe it was in May, he was speaking at a commencement, said rioters killed two police officers that day. I know, I know. Simply not, simply not true, and Just that's not never true. been retracted that I know of. So, who, you know, those four, t- those four deaths were all Trump supporters. The one, the okay, the the thing. I, there's a man who had a heart attack, and the fourth one I cannot remember at all. Do you remember that the the other two yes. that died? Yeah, the the man who had the heart attack is Kevin Greeson, uh, and the man who had a stroke uh, was Benjamin Phillips. Both men had a history of, of heart disease. So the after the autopsy, the medical examiner ruled those to be uh, natural deaths from cardiovascular disease. But both of them were in close proximity to, uh, you know, explosive munitions that were launched into the crowd by the police. And a lot of these things were going off at head level, face level. And many of them had small uh, plastic or rubber projectiles in them, little, little marble little balls. And if that goes off at face level, you know, within feet of your head, those things can lodge in your in your skin. They can go through. A fellow had one that went through his cheek. Uh, we we saw people who, uh, who their hair caught on fire. They had facial burns. Yes. Uh, these munitions are not meant to be used this way. And both of these fellows were in close proximity uh, with Mr. Greeson. A witness uh, reported that he had been struck somewhere in the side of the head with one of these projectiles. Joseph, we have, we, have to, we have to take a break. I'm sorry the music is playing, but let me say that this was one of the turning points and early on when uh, Trump supporters went to the Capitol and police from up above started shooting firebombs at them. They weren't even doing anything. They were just standing there. We have the video. We can see it. Uh, they have their flags. Right. They're standing there, and police start shooting at them, and that's what Joseph is describing. And people are being hit, and they're catching on fire, and this is where these two men died. When we come back, Joseph, let's talk about Ray Epps, and let's talk about that pipe bomb. Uh, now we're learning more about that, and uh, it's very interesting, so please stay tuned. Joseph Henneman, it's the real story of January 6th. Sandy Rios in the morning. 
You've got Christians who <laughs> love Jesus and they have kids and they're just like, I just don't know what my calling is. Right. Will and Mickey Addison. What is it and, that Jesus wants me to do? I feel man. like I'm a teacher. And that's I feel wh- like that's I'm a why, great- <laughs> That's why when you... Go to the scripture and talk about yeah. equipping the saints for work of ministry. Come on. You should look inside first. It can exactly. be right, you know, at your address. Marriage, family, and the church. That's the focus of airing the Addisons. Weekday afternoons at 2 Central on American Family Radio. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Anyone notice a pattern here? Grace, mercy, and love all require truth. It is unloving to conceal or sidestep truth. Often, People avoid truth and use love as a justification when in reality their truth aversion is a self-preservation tactic. You cannot claim to love someone and simultaneously affirm them in a lie. The absence of truth nullifies the application of grace. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and to one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Liz Cheney's electoral rejection as the sole representative in the U.S. House of the people of Wyoming shows that a condition known as Trump derangement syndrome, which she has increasingly manifested, can be politically fatal. For those of us who've worked in the past with Representative Cheney and her similarly afflicted father, this transformation has been appalling. Their stated determination to do whatever is necessary to destroy Donald Trump has given the appearance of bipartisan cover to one of the greatest travesties in congressional history, the Stalinesque January 6th Committee. It has become a personal vendetta that encourages his unequal treatment under law. Alas, we are likely to see Liz Cheney exemplify the warning about the fury of a woman scorned. Wyoming voters' repudiation makes clear, however, that henceforth she is playing full-time for the other team. This is Frank Gaffney.
Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. That was a shooting gallery up there. I could hear the tremble in his voice. She suffered a fairly severe beating. The, the video is, is pretty graphic. Justice for us seems almost impossible. It's not fun to watch somebody die, and they knew she was in mortal peril. They have not asked the hard questions. Why was the Capitol intentionally unsecure that day? The FBI had information about security concerns before January 6th. They're out for blood, and they're getting it. They appear to be winning. Were the actions of the Capitol Police out of line? Were there violations in use of force? Now I describe it as an inside job. I'm ready to do whatever God calls me. Wow, that gives me chills just listening. It is such a, uh, a great um, documentary by the Epoch Times. It's called The Real Story of January 6th. The Real Story of January 6th. And you can you can uh, subscribe to Epoch Times. It's very, it's like a dollar, I think, as Joseph was just explaining. But if you go to j6realstory.com, you can figure out how you can watch it. And I really, really highly recommend it to each and every one of you. It's one of the best uh, there's been a lot of things produced, uh, and they've all been good. I've watched them all, but this is really one of the best. So the real story of January 6th, it has new video, new new, new angles uh, on different scenes that we've seen before. It's just excellent. And Joseph Hanneman, is the, Hanneman my guest, is the producer, uh, and he is a reporter for the Epoch Times. Now, Joseph, there's so many things to ask you. So I'm trying to, I, I, rather than dwell, I guess, too long on one thing, I, let's touch on several things. There's more information on those pipe bombs, and uh, just um, you, you just did a long article about Ray Epps and his. Ray Epps is the agitator in the crowd that we have lots of video of him encouraging people to go into the Capitol, go into the Capitol. He does it for like two days. We have video of him by these guys who are taking down the fence, encouraging them to take down the fence, and everyone wonders who the heck is Ray Epps. So Joseph, take it. Uh, take, tell us about Ray Epps, what we know about him now, and especially about the pipe bombs. Well, Ray Epps really came on the, on the public scene uh, in June of 2021 when uh, Darren Beatty at Revolver News uh, did a, a long expose about Ray and, and all the places that he appeared on January 6th and actually starting the night before uh, down in downtown D.C. at the Black Lives Matter Plaza uh, where he was engaging with the crowd there and, and encouraging people not just to go to the Capitol but to go into the Capitol. And, and the, the way he says it uh, in the intonation is just, we need to go into the Capitol. So, you know, we saw that. And, uh, and we also saw it the next day at the ellipse uh, before President Trump started speaking. He, hey, he Joseph, had a bowl let, me, yes. let, me, let me interrupt you just for a second, because I want to add that the, the night before when he does this, you hear Trump supporters around him saying, no, no, that's Ill- no, we're not going to do that. And then they start chanting, fed, fed. Fed, fed, because they suspect he's a fed. So go on, the next day. Yeah, he was uh, pointing to the Capitol, said, as soon as the president's done speaking, we know we need to go to the Capitol. That's where our problems are. Uh, and, you know, he had told the FBI that he went there to support President Trump, yet he didn't stay for, you know, but the beginning of the speech and followed, he said, followed a crowd over to the Capitol. And he was president at the first, a breach point 
very lightly defended uh, barrier Capitol Police had, uh, and in fact, pulled a young man named Ryan Samsel back and said something in his ear, uh, and he claims what he said was, don't do this, back off. And, and Samsel confirmed that, but he didn't listen, and he immediately, along with several others, pushed the, the gate over, and they were literally off to the races. Um, and Ray Epps is, is seen in several other places on the Capitol grounds. Um, and he admitted when, you know, we obtained a recording of his, uh, his FBI interview done in, in March of 2021. He admits that he encouraged people to go into the Capitol. He said he was very likely guilty of trespassing, uh, but he had uh, good motives. You know, he was trying to be a peacemaker, he said, and... And indeed, there is video to back that up. I mean, I, I probably have a half dozen instances where Ray Epps is pushing people back from the police line saying, hey, knock it off. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want them to get hurt. They're doing their jobs. And so it's, it's, it's all very curious. Uh, but his explanations given to the FBI, uh, you know, there are, some, there are some issues with it, some inconsistencies. Um, and so it, it, it just continues to perplex anybody that's followed this uh, well, because he has not been arrested or charged. Yes. And, well, that's the, look, look all of the J6, all of the people that have been charged are, you know, pleading their case. Many of them, you know, protecting Roseanne Boylan. They had good intentions, too, but that didn't didn't cut any anything with the FBI or the Justice Department. So why Ray Epps is getting, uh, not being uh, called up when we have him on video doing all those things, I don't understand. Let's, this whole is business about him mentioning a possible bomb that may go off in one of the side streets, that's interesting to me. Can you say a word about that? Yeah, we reported that about a week ago uh, based on the recording of his FBI interview. Uh, he was asked why he brought, you know, he had a bit uh, tactical backpack on and he had a pretty good sized first aid kit strapped to his hip and they asked him why he brought that along and, and he said he was expecting a possible terror attack that day and in fact he said a bomb not just a bomb that would go off but he said a bomb that would go off on a side street near the capitol uh and which of course you know, we had the two alleged pipe bombs that were planted on side streets near the capitol so it's in that interview, it's very curious because the FBI agents did not press him at all or ask further questions saying, well, it's funny you mention that because we're doing an investigation of two pipe bombs that were uh, that were planted. And so, you know, that's, that struck me as, as being a big oddity uh, when he mentions that. And I have another story that's probably coming out today about the FBI's interview of his son. Uh, who also mentioned some some details about a possible bomb, and that his father discussed that before they all went down to the ellipse that day. So he, he had some reason, at least that's what he says, to think that there was going to be uh, some sort of carnage that day, and that that you know they they would be called into service to help lend medical aid to people. You know, let me uh, just jump in. Revolver has done a really long uh, dive on this pipe bomb incident, and re people may remember that it, it was just before uh, 1 o'clock, I think, when the pipe bombs were discovered uh, around the DNC and also the Republican National Committee headquarters. 
And these are some inside, uh, this is a, a just a paragraph, a short one, out of this Revolver report. It says, did the pipe bomber just happen to luck into the craziest coincidence of the century? That his pipe bombs happened to be discovered at just the right time to create the desired diversion from the initial attack on the Capitol perimeter that began at 1250, just 10 minutes before Congress at 1 o'clock were going to certify the electoral votes? Or did the pipe bomber know somehow uh, that the bombs would be found at exactly 20 minutes till 1, 1 o'clock? And if he did know that, how did he know? And one other thing, Joseph, let me share this with you. This is from an insider. This is actually in, one of, in my email. It's not front public. This is someone uh, from the Capitol Police saying a call was made to the Capitol Police in the late late morning timeline. The caller warned the police about two devices, one near the Capitol Hill Club and one near the DNC Dem Club. Um, the warning caused the police to pull a large number of Capitol Police off the front lines guarding the west front of the Capitol and diverted them to those two locations to search and evacuate those blogs and also to evacuate the Cannon Building across the street from the uh, CHS. This left the front-line officer count at about half of the pre-call number. Zero coincidence. Uh, just your comments about that, Joseph, based on your own research. Well, I, I, the, the, I read the revolver piece yesterday, and it, it, it really does raise even more questions about that entire thing. Uh, you know, the, the timing of that, and, and we would love to hear the radio traffic and the phone call that came in. The Capitol Police, you know, they're not subject to uh, Freedom of Information Act because they're a creature of Congress and they don't release things. But uh, in this case, I would love to hear that. And, you know, we, we filed a, a FOIA request um, with the ATF to try to get the, uh, the explosives report on those devices because there were some real peculiarities about those and how they were set up. Uh, and, you know, the timing of that is quite amazing just in terms of the initial breach happening at about the same time and uh, very shortly before Congress uh, went into recess. And uh, several defense attorneys have pointed out that the timing of that was really the interruption of the uh, counting of the electoral votes well before uh, one protester set foot in the Capitol. So, you know, everyone who is charged with that felony for obstruction of an official proceeding uh, has reason to challenge that because uh, it was the pipe, most likely the pipe bomb that was the driving factor in, in going into recess uh, before, you know, probably an hour later when the first protesters uh, went through windows and came in various doors of the Capitol. Joseph, we're running out of time. Oh, that's frustrating. You and I'll have to talk again. But I do want you to mention Victoria White is someone you feature in your film who I knew nothing about, really. Tell us about her story and uh, what, what contribution she made to your film. Well, Victoria White uh, from Minnesota, she was there that day to support the president and walked over to the Capitol. And the first thing she did that, that made note, she's on video uh, going after people that were breaking the Capitol windows. People that the crowd had identified and accused of being Antifa. And she went up and she grabbed this one fellow dressed all in black, black Kevlar helmet that was bashing the window. She pulled him down, spun him around and got in his face and just lit into him and said, what are you doing? We don't do this. This is not who we are. Uh, and you know, she did that again to another fellow that took his place at the window. So she tried to prevent some things that 
from happening. And shortly thereafter, she ended up in the west, lower West Terrace tunnel entrance. She got pulled into this, this tunnel entrance and almost immediately uh, was attacked by a supervisor for the Metropolitan Police Department uh, who took his, uh, his ass, his collapsible steel baton, and began to just, just pound on her head with it. And, and that's deadly force. You know, they, you know, police are not trained to use that unless the intention is to kill. So we, we counted 39 blows. Um, some of them were punches, but he, uh, he was very close to her, and the punches were you know, completely closed fists to the side of the face. And, you know, she did not retain memory of a lot of that because, you know, and she did not go in for a medical immediately after. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a brutal, absolutely brutal beating that, that she survived it, I, I think, is a miracle. Because uh, you can hear, you know, we were able to sync up audio from body cams with the security, overhead security cameras. You can hear it. It's, it's just, it's a horrifying click when that thing hits her skull. And it's, it's just, it's a brutal, you know, and, and if that doesn't qualify for, for attempted homicide, I don't know what would. Uh, and she had not, you know, she wasn't attacking anyone. She got, she got in the wrong place at the wrong time, but she was one and, of several women who were attacked that way in that tunnel, but, but hers was the most brutal. Joseph, that was the same, and that was happening at the same time as I understand as I think, as Roseanne Boylan was being attacked by another Capitol Police woman and then her body dragged, right? Was that in the same time frame? It was close. Uh, Roseanne's attack happened a little bit later after uh, Victoria had been removed back into the Capitol, uh, okay. and, and moved back into the Capitol. But, same yeah, tunnel. Roseanne was, yes, same tunnel. That, that was a, a, the scene of, of a lot of terrible things that day. And, and Roseanne's beating, which is inexplicable, and, and right. there's, there's no reason for that. Terrible. I know. And, and so many of the guys that are in jail in D.C. were trying to protect her. That's what's so horrible about all of this. One of the yep. things that's horrible. Joseph, we're out of time. Uh, but let me just tell all of you, if this doesn't uh, make you want to watch this documentary, I don't know what to do. Uh, but it's called The Real Story of January 6th. The Real Story of January 6th. If you go to j 6 Real Story. Dot com. You can uh, figure out how to watch this uh, documentary, share it with others, j6realstory.com. And Joseph Hanneman, let's keep in touch, please, because I do appreciate so much the work that you, the Epoch Times is doing and that you personally are doing to cover this uh, as, a, as a veteran reporter. It's really a tremendous contribution uh, to this discussion, which is so important to the future of our country. Joseph Hanneman, thank you. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.